3: Welcome to the DFO Rundown podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash.
1: Welcome to episode 163 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside uh, Frank Saravalli. And uh, what a weekend in the National Hockey League. Uh, Really, what a weekend in sports. Before I get to the NHL, Frank... um, how was the feeling in Philadelphia as the Eagles are six and O and the Philadelphia Phillies are winning. Uh, they're moving on. They're into the next round. Uh, all they're doing is celebrating. Was that three celebrations in 13 days? I think it is for the Phils.
3: And don't look now, but the Flyers are two and I mean, <laughs> like, it was honestly, they they've been calling it the perfect Philadelphia sports weekend and it certainly was it Was awesome. Uh, the environment at the ballpark was Makes the hairs on your neck stand up. I took my son, he's eight on Friday. That was an afternoon game. And then Saturday was also an afternoon game. Took my daughter who's six. Now she only made it through just about seven innings. Like she was like, she just hit a wall. She had had enough. She was flipping out because I wouldn't walk the entire lap around the stadium to get her a jersey, which I was like, hey, we'll, we'll order it online on my phone right now. I just want to watch the game. She's she's just crying. So uh, she didn't quite get through it, but um, it was an amazing experience. Awesome to have to take both kids and uh to do something cool and can't wait for the nlcs Yeah, you got oh yeah because you bought like a pack so you have 17 games next
1: year and you get all the playoff games that could go into the world series
3: yep that's pretty awesome it's a good purchase you're not it's the first time i've ever bought tickets for any team in my life because i've I've spent my entire career not rooting um I, I actually covered the Phillies in 2009 when they went to the world series. That was my first year full-time covering the flyers. And I actually took like two weeks off of the flyers beat in the middle of it in October to cover the 09 run, which is pretty amazing. And, uh, so I covered the Phillies and then during the lockout, I covered the, the Eagles. I actually did all 16 Eagles games that year, uh, which is crazy. And so I, I've kind of covered all the, the four major sports in Philly. And that sucks the fandom out of you. We've talked about this. You know, that, um, it feels weird to wear a Jersey and I don't, uh, but this is the Phillies. I had a weird feeling about this team and like August and September, I was like, there's something about this group. Um, and I was like, I'm in, I said to my wife, I was like, I want to buy tickets." She's like, what? You want to buy tickets? I'm Like, yeah, I do. I, I there's, I like this team. There's something about this team. So I bought tickets and first time I've ever done that in my life. Now, does your wife want to go to a playoff game? Um, yeah. Actually, we're gonna go on Friday. We're gonna go on a date, just the two of us.
1: So that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. So my my wife is definitely more of a playoff person. We we have season. She's a front runner through my company. Yeah, she just doesn't. She likes the odd regular season game, but she just likes the heightened atmosphere of a playoff experience. You know, the there's nothing like
3: there. playoff baseball, and I've been to every playoff hockey game you could imagine like they're electrifying playoff baseball something about living and dying on every pitch is pretty amazing
1: that's true the emotional roller coaster i'm sure every time right Uh, oh gee it's two and two and all of a sudden you get excited to be maybe it's going to be a striker or or not it's three and two Mm -hmm. Uh, it's going to be a ball so for four hours yeah that's well yeah four hours that's the one thing if there was only one thing i would change about baseball though you know what next year it's got to be quicker right all the rule changes that are coming in. Next season, baseball should be fun. So what's your uh, prediction for the Phils? I think the Phillies are going to the World
3: Series and they're going to play the Houston Astros.
1: Houston Astros. Yeah, what a weekend. That was 18 inning game in uh, Seattle and uh, Houston. So Seattle fans, hey, you know what? I guess they got their money's worth. They hadn't had a playoff game in 20 years and they got. Well, and they only got one. one. Yeah, I know, yeah. but they got robbed. But I guess it's like in they got one. two though, Frank. It's yeah. 18 innings. I know. Yeah.
3: Crazy. That is a brutal loss, man. Oh, that would uh, stink for uh, Seattle. That, not, I, kn- I know this is a hockey podcast so I'll get off my horse after this but I don't really love their playoff format. So the first round like Seattle was a wild card team, they played both games in Toronto, right? Even if yep. they played three games, it would they were all on the road. Then they get to the next round and they only get one home game out of it? Like the second round should have flipped in my opinion to a 7 game series since there was a series in the first round now. And then that way you would have at least got like, so all that work for the Seattle Mariners, all that hype. And you get one home game, one home date. Like if I was their owner, I'd be furious. Yeah, no, it's a fair comment. And like the problem with
1: baseball is they add more playoff games. It just means that now their playoff baseball is in November. And depending on what market you're in, That's freezing cold.
3: It's real. It can be really cold. Yeah. We had like two of the best days you could imagine. Like it was, it was 21 degrees on Saturday, not a cloud in the sky. So that's 72. Like it was unbelievable how nice it was. And, but it was both games, two day games. Like it was awesome. And now they're going to go to San Diego, even better weather. Yeah, that's true. So now let's get Hey, you mentioned the fill, uh, the
1: flyer. So let's start there. We're going to start in Pennsylvania actually, because there's two storylines I want to get to, but the, the flyers, obviously it's very early Frank, but, uh, they're two and O oh, and, um, you know what, uh, they got a fortuitous bounce over the stick of JT Miller. And, uh, what, what do you make of the uh, flyer start?
3: I don't know. I want to see more of it, like I to to really know what they're working with. I think they're just a team right now that works hard. Obviously coming from behind against the Canucks, they beat a Devils team, beat the pants off a of Devils team in in game 1 and that's a storyline in and of itself. The Devils Miles Wood coming out on Friday saying Saturday night's a must win and then they lose. I mean, things will really toughen up for the Flyers this week. You've got the Lightning Panthers on the road. Then you go to, to Nashville, like three playoff teams from last year. Let's see what the end of this week looks like.
1: Yeah, well, Carter Hart's also looking very good early on. And uh, it looks like he's, he's found his game again after a you know, tough year and a half or so. Uh, for him, so uh, I'll be curious to see. Kevin Woodley is going to join us. Uh, we'll talk all the technical stuff of goaltenders uh, later on. Uh, uh, Leafs fans, Stars fans, uh, we'll be uh, focusing on uh, your goaltenders as, as well as Carter Hart and uh, and a few others. Now, um, speaking of Vancouver, that's who they lost. Uh, they've given up. A th- they gave up a three nothing lead to Edmonton. They gave up a two nothing lead early to uh, Philadelphia. And maybe the stat of the first 10 days of the national hockey league, JT Miller has been on the ice for every goal against for the Canucks. And uh, what did he say last game, Frank? I can't comment on this team right now,
3: basically saying I'm terrible. So I can't say anything about the state of our team. Yeah, he's definitely flogged himself and you can tell the frustration has already set in, um, really tough start, like to blow that, that lead against Edmonton. When, you know, you played so much of that game really well at five on five too. That's the thing. Um, they're in a spot to win in Philly, uh, against a team with really no expectations and, and blow that lead and through it all, Thatcher Demko has actually been pretty good. Um, he played a, a really large stretch of that game quite well against the flyers. Like I, I, um, I don't know what to make of the Canucks just yet either.
1: Yeah. It's a, well, their best guys have, have been good in the
3: first period and then really haven't done much in the, in the, second. yeah. And Pedersen was really quiet on Saturday, especially with the man advantage. Like he just, he didn't do much. Quinn Hughes didn't look like himself. There's, there's a lot to unpack in Vancouver and if their best players, aren't their best players, they're not going to be successful. That's, I mean, that's true for most teams, but they just don't have the depth to compete. Well, that's the same storyline as last year. Like I know Travis green took
1: all the blame, but their star players weren't very good. Uh, they woke up when they got Bruce Boudreau uh, involved, but it was too little too late and they, they can't afford another slow start. Uh, meanwhile, staying in the state of Pennsylvania, I, I think the moniker is still, it's still fair. It's still valid. Sid, the kid is uh, a top, the NHL scoring race uh, currently with six points for a uh, young Sidney Crosby as a uh, I'll say this about the elite players now. Their window of greatness is just longer, right? The, the players are in better shape. They sleep better. The nutrition, the education that they are given today, you know, you see it with Tom Brady in, in NFL. You see it with LeBron James and, and other elite athletes. And, you know, that, that's got to be exciting for, for fans of, of the younger superstars today, guys like McDavid and Austin Matthews and, and Pasternak and others. You're like, man, these guys in their mid-30s should still be elite. I
3: mean, yeah, it's like breaking, it's breaking news. Sidney Crosby's still good. Like yeah. he he really does take care of himself, really puts the time in. everyone knows that he ratchets that organization, I think to another level. And I think what's been understated as the Pittsburgh Penguins return to Montreal and Jeff Petrie makes his return to, uh, to the bell center on Monday night is this team's is really well set up. Like they're, I think they're the improvements that they made on defense. We talked in our season preview about Jan Ruda and you were saying what a stout pickup that was. And he's been good, but I think Petrie, you know, I think he's still a really good player and it was a tough trade for Montreal to make. They were kind of backed up against the wall and for a team in Pittsburgh that didn't have any cap space to be able to wiggle out of the John Marino deal, um, you know, they were able to to really improve their defense. And that was a huge push for this team after getting everyone re-signed.
1: Oh, yeah. I mentioned Petrie and Root. I felt it made their team a better defensive team uh, overall. And uh, obviously, they still got the offense. Uh, Gensel and Crosby are a really dangerous duo. They just read off each other uh, very well. Some of their set plays off the face-off, Frank, are, are what really impressed. Next them. level. Yeah, uh, like you know, when you when you have the guy going from the hash marks, crossing all the way to the other side of the ice to get open with on set face offs, it's that's great stuff, man. And uh, you know Pittsburgh, they're fun to watch. Tristan Jari, you know, another goalie we'll talk about with Woodley. He's off to another really good start. So they're gonna be good. Yeah, the Pens look really good. They're yeah, gonna be a hundred plus team again. Hey, well, uh, let's go all the way west though to uh, Vegas Golden Knights, three uh, and Oh, uh, and man, they have manhandled their opposition in those games.
3: Yeah, they have and and Logan Thompson's been good. We'll talk about him too. Um Golden Knights, you know, when you look at their team, for me one of their big question marks is going to be scoring. But they've got 10 goals through 3 games, not overwhelming, but when you look at their goals against, 5, that's really the key number. 5 goals against in 3 games. Um that's been the most important, important and impressive part of the Golden Knights start.
1: Yeah, um team in their division the uh, the Edmonton orders uh, the first 20 minutes are uh, are ugly as uh, they mean they were down uh, well 3 nothing to Vancouver uh, they were down 4 to 1 to to Calgary after uh, 20 minutes and Vancouver's 20 minutes and like 39 seconds to start the uh, second period um, in the final basically 39 and change they outscore the other team 7 to 1 the problem is they're digging themselves a hole way too often and i know it was a little unlucky with the Brett Kulak uh, catching a rut and, and giving Kadria a breakaway on the, on the power play, but you know, Amonton starts, uh, I'm sure that'll be the main focus for Jay Woodcroft because two games in the first period has been dreadful.
3: Yeah. The power play has been really good though. That's going to bail you out on a lot of nights, which it, it almost did both games. Right. Um, what do you think of Jack Campbell? And we'll ask Kevin Woodley, but what do you make of him?
1: Yeah. You know what? Um, I thought there was one goal maybe in the Vancouver game. And then the the last game, I didn't see like an awful goal. I just didn't see a, a timely stop from yeah. him, right? Um, I didn't like Cadre scores on on a breakaway when your defenseman falls. You know, nice shot. I don't, you know, can he can he slide five hole? Can he close the gap? I guess maybe. Um, stone shot deflects off a few people, gets in front. They, I don't really have much of an issue on that one. The 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 other stone shot from the point, kind of. C I shot, you'd call it Frank, but I'd find that maybe that's the one I found that maybe the goalie should have got, a you know, Campbell's got to get a stop on. Like he just, he didn't make a big save against Calgary and Stuart Skinner came in and, and made a lot of them because Calgary still kind of took it to Edmonton, right? The, the only reason that score wasn't more was because Stuart Skinner stopped all 31 shots he faced. How's Dylan Holloway been? um he's been as expected as a rookie he had like one giveaway in the, in the first game um the orders because they're in a hole they've changed their lines we really haven't seen like their their top three lines on what they're supposed to be because he's put dry subtle mcdavid and kane together basically in the first 12 minutes of each game so i'd like to see what the lines look like when they're supposed to stay together yeah hmm. calgary though you know what calgary yeah. looks good man oh who looked really good for me was Uyghur. I, we, Weger playing with, uh, with Tanev just, you know, Uyghur's I know there was lots of talk that Uyghur's defensive game. Wasn't great, man. I thought he was really sound defensively, uh, in, in his first game. Like I focused on him, you know, I as I was sitting in the crowd, I took my son to the game and I always like to sit lower anyway, because the game, you realize how hard it is when you're lower up top mm-hmm. the game looks easy too much. Mm-hmm. So, um, but Uyghur for me, flame fans are really going to like him. I like, I think he's going to have a huge impact on that team.
3: And all those guys locked up, Kadri long-term, Uyghur long-term, Huberto, both, both those two guys from Florida, nine years, I like guess. It's, it's a lot, and I love it because I think they put a stake in the ground. Yeah, and I think we have to talk, Frank, of the Sharks are already 0-4. Um, they, got,
1: they lost to Chicago of all teams. Lafferty scores two shorthanded goals. San Jose does not look good at all. Um, they look older and slow. Like They just don't have a lot of speed on that team.
3: Yeah. And that, where are they going to get it from? I mean, that's, that's the toughest part about the the sharks and the predicament they're in is that there's no reinforcements coming. There's no burgeoning pipeline of prospects. That's going to, you know, bring you, you know, a shot in the arm. It's, it's, it's not coming. There's no cavalry on the way. So they're, uh, they're in a really tough spot.
1: Yeah. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see what happened. And now they might get Barabanov back, um, well, who knows? But uh, you know how much he'll help. But right now they're just you know they don't have a lot of speed on defense either. And man, if you can't speed on
3: defense without it, you are in tough. Football. I know they had a similar record last year to start, but Seattle oh, won one one and one. No, to- no, no. no I I was saying Seattle. Sorry, I was transitioning oh, yeah. to Seattle. Yeah, one one and one. They they actually look pretty good. They look way more competitive.
1: Well, their offense is way better, right? You add the three Bs: Beniers, Burakovsky, and Bjorkstrand and they're way better, right? Like Matty Beniers, it's early, but, uh, you know, he's one of the front runners, extremely early for the uh, Calder. He's been excellent. But, yeah, Bjorkstrand and and, uh, and Bjerikovsky, all three of them, just, that's, that just gives them three guys in their top nine they didn't have last year and, and three of their better producers. So they will be better offensively. Um, yeah, like, though, as we said off when we did our predictions, Frank, like when you're so low in the standings, it's easy to say you're going to improve because you have way more room to it.
3: There's only one direction to go.
1: Yeah. Like the Detroit Red Wings. I thought Detroit of, of those three teams, I thought Detroit was best suited to to improve. And, you know, who so obviously gets a shutout. So no better way to make your first impression to your new fan base than that. And, you know, Mo Cider. I like Detroit's team a lot. Right. As far as I don't know if they can prove enough because the gap was so large in their division last year to make the playoffs, but I like them more right now and how they're built than, than Ottawa or Buffalo.
3: The Winnipeg jets tough. Uh, they get a win in, in their first game against the New York Rangers, but tough for Rick bonus. He misses the first game with COVID. Now they're going to Dallas. He can't go on the trip. Um, interesting that the jets are one of those teams that's only played one game. And you know what I noticed too, just looking through the numbers. Um, and I don't know if it's a storyline yet, but the Canadian teams, not sell some of them, not selling out their home openers, is kind of concerning. Well, it's concerning,
1: but it's realistic, Frank. That the cost of games right now for the average fan is just way too high. Like, um, the concession prices are astronomically idiotic. There's no other way to put it. Idiotic. When you you know you have in Edmonton, their pop- popcorn is like twenty dollars for this massive bag i'm like are you joking it's a bunch of kernels of corn here so let's grab a clue twenty dollars for popcorn yeah like you get like one, are you, you serious a, you can get a, a bone yeah you, you can get a bone in the sweet frank last year if you wanted popcorn they would say well it's all you can eat well how much popcorn can i eat right and right. it was still like 20 to 25 dollars and i'm mm-hmm. like this is the biggest joke going So, um, this year now it's not 20 straight up for popcorn, but it on average, like if you want to get some popcorn and two pops, it's like $55. It's just mind-blowingly dumb. So fans, people are going to be like, Hey, I can watch the games at home. I love, I love sports, but I love my family better. And I got to put a a roof over my, uh, you know, my kids and I got to get them in sports and in school and stuff. And there will be a tipping point, Frank. And and if you're right, if people aren't, are we
3: there yet? I guess is my question.
1: I don't know if you're there yet, yeah, but if, if all of a sudden you have Canadian markets and for home openers not being sold out, what's that going to mean like in November?
3: Was Edmonton sold out for Game One? I thought it was yes, but it I, says 18-3-4-7. 7 I, I'm seeing their capacity is eighteen five. Did well, they change 18, the five, capacity? 18 I think
1: eighteen three four seven as usual. You they expand some seats. Right. The and they're standing
3: room only. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But they don't use those all the time. So I think the eighteen three four seven is the seating capacity. Right. And then they'll put in the standing room only. And that makes it a little bit more, but I know
3: Winnipeg was short. Yeah. And you know what? That's the flames. I believe were sold out for yeah, their first game out. at the dome. And yeah. then. I'd but imagine first game that,
1: is, that's like baseball, look at the big crowds in baseball. And then the season comes on and you know, they have 81 games in the
3: season. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. And if you're not selling out the opener, that's yes, like, you're like, 100%. Whoa, hold on a second oh, here. It's a good story. I'm just that's wondering if that's going to be a storyline, just something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I totally agree.
1: Let's bring in uh, Tyler, your Ramchuk. You, you weren't making eggs were you right now
0: no i was not uh, i was not making eggs but i'm here and i'm ready for an addition to buy or sell i forgot to unmute my mic at one point um so that is why there was like three seconds of silence but i'm ready to go i promise i'm dialed in i got three fill in the blank questions courtesy of our friends over at doordash with the promo code game day 25 gets you 25 percent off and no delivery fees on your first order shout out to doordash you guys were talking about teams that are getting off to hot starts. There is a handful that have not had a loss yet so far this season, even though it's only been a few games. But the most surprising undefeated team so far this year is blank, Frank. The Flyers, Jason. But it's
3: two games.
1: I'm gonna say Vegas. They're three and zero. Has either? Yeah, but of those at least teams... people
3: were saying Vegas could be a you know is is could be a playoff team. Should be right in the mix. No one was saying that at all about the Flyers.
0: So, my follow up to that, Frank, is have they changed your opinion of them at all? No, not yet. Jason, have the Golden Knights changed their opinion of you or your opinion of them? Um, Yeah, slightly.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, now, I had Vegas battling Vancouver for a wild card spot, and, th- and that could still conceivably happen. But mm-hmm. what's imp- like Vegas's goaltending defense, uh, their offense hasn't been dominant, but their goaltending defense has been quite good.
0: Last year, we had a total of four rookies in the NHL hit the fifty-point mark. This year, we'll get blank. Jason, well, Maddie Beneers is off to a um,
1: it's off to a flying start. start. I like uh, I like Mason Marchman in Anaheim McTavish. or McTavish. Excuse okay. me. Um,
3: Mason Marchment though, side yeah, note also he's off to I a was good start him yeah. in Dallas.
1: He's off to, he's showing that last year wasn't a one-hit wonder early on. Mm-hmm. But uh, I will I love offense. I'm going to I'm going to buy
0: and I'm going to say 5. You say there's going to be 5, Frank? Who are your 5? JJ has got I'm 2 just, points I'm in just, Buffalo.
1: Yeah, I'm just picking a number to be honest. I don't have any five specific in my head. I'm just saying 5. I think all depends on who stays healthy, of course, yeah. right? And how the year goes, but I'll say 5. There are definitely some candidates across the league. I like, well, we've mentioned Beneers, um, uh, McTavish, um, Shane Pinto. I'd probably say has a, Pinto, a shot at like it. it. He a hey, shot. hey, speaking of Shane's uh, at what point is Seattle sending Shane right down? He played six minutes in game one. It was a healthy scratch in game two. You got to think he's going back with junior.
3: Yeah, we'll see. Um, he should be, I, I'm going to say four, I don't know who the four are,
0: but i feel like it's going to be less. Yeah. Just a slightly weaker rookie class than last year. I'd, I'd buy it. Well, it's that. not
3: even that it's weaker. Cause like, what is the normal rookie class, right? Like yeah. we're so used to these generational talents stepping in over the last decade that it's like 50 points. Yes. So what? And it's like 50 points is a really good year uh, for any NHL player. We kind of lost sight of that and maybe it changed some of the expectations. Uh, I'm going to say four.
0: And the year before that, there was only 50-odd games in the regular season. And still that yeah. year, we had a rookie hit 50 points because of uh, Kirill Kaprizov. So uh, going on to our Points Bet Canada bonus question. Speaking of the Vegas Golden Knights, I'm proud of myself because I've been on the Golden Knights for two of their wins already. I feel like they're, I felt like they were a team that was going to get off to a really good start. And if the goaltending was going to end up hurting them, it would be later in the year. Um, also, I will we'll share this, though, as an embarrassing bet. I was very confident in the Edmonton Oilers going over a hundred and two and a half points. So I laid a nice wager on it. The other day I was just flipping through points bed and I look and I accidentally clicked under. So I'm on the Oilers what? under this year.
3: Wow. That, I mean, to be honest,
0: like, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's a possibility. Yep, it is. So uh, Oilers under 102.5 on the regular season, I guess is what we're rooting for this year. I'm
3: just, I was just trying to think. Last year, their over under was 98 and a half, and they smashed it mm-hmm. 104. But they needed a real run in the last two weeks of the season to get there. If I remember correctly, it wasn't like a foregone conclusion that they yeah. got there last year.
0: Yeah, my thinking though was they won't have that crazy run at the end, but they won't have the like six, seven weeks of just terribleness at some point in the season. They are the worst team. The, again.
1: They were the worst team in the NHL. Uh, when yeah, they but were
3: two eleven and two, like awful. This is my this was my point about Jack Campbell, and I'm I'm not slagging Jack Jack Campbell, but they got the one goalie that was as inconsistent as they were last year. Mm. He was on the exact same roller coaster ride personally. He was like nine twenty nine forty-two in the first 20 games of the season. I'm recalling these from memory. So if they're off, don't shoot me. But 942 in the first 20 games. Then he went the next 20 or 25 games and was 880 something, then closed out the season in the nine twenties again and was was fine in the playoffs. Like which guy are you getting? And for a team that struggled with consistency last year, that that's a that's a red flag for me.
1: That's
0: fair. All right. Well, you know what? It's perfect timing, Frank, because uh- I have one more question. I have one more question. I sure. do have a points for okay. Canada bonus question. I just got sidetracked by talking about my own bets. Uh, I want to get your take on they have odds up and they update them throughout the year on who's going to win each division. The Atlantic division has taken a bit of an interesting turn. You got the Leafs at plus 190. They're the favorites. Florida plus 210. Tampa plus 280. Who do you consider the favorite in the Atlantic right now, Frank?
3: Um, I would say Tampa
1: yeah, yeah they're off to a slow start but
0: I agree and they got the best odds so I would I would still sit on Tampa Bay all right there you go that is a wrap for this week's edition of fill in the blank delivered by DoorDash <laughs> And uh,
1: speaking of goaltending, Frank, it's a uh, perfect timing from Jack Campbell. Of course, uh, we're going to focus on Jake Ottinger. He was sick in the playoffs last year. I know it's only two games, but uh, it looks like he's the exact same goaltender. And if you're a Dallas Stars fan, you can be excited about that. Uh, Logan Thompson, uh, the Elias, the Matt DeBasse, Murray. Matt Murray. Uh, and Matt Murray, pre-injury. We'll get some technical stuff going on there. Uh, what were the concerns? And uh, the guy that Frankie thought anyway was going to be the, uh, the key and goal for uh, Toronto, Mr. Uh, Samsonoff, uh, he is now the guy. So uh, what does that mean? Kevin Woodley will join us to discuss goaltending.
0: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right.
3: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/host.
1: Today on the DFO rundown, we are excited to bring in from Ingold Magazine and NHL.com uh, one of the best goalie analysts out there and uh, when you want to talk goaltending position, Kevin Woodley is one of the guys you want to talk to. Uh, Kev, welcome to the DFO rundown. How are
2: you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Although I've been told I have a face for radio. So Jason, brave of you to uh, invite me into a world that er, requires video as well. I think this
3: is a fact. I believe Kevin Woodley is our first repeat guest in 164 editions of the DFO rundown.
1: Ooh, I like ladder. Good stuff, Frank. Good stat. Well, uh, he was obviously very good the first time, so we had to bring him back. Um, we are going to get into the goal today. Uh, let's start with Matt Murray's situation, Kev. Um, the game he played, you know, the four goals to the glove side, and then the, the, we'll get to the injury in a second. But what were some of the things you saw in that
2: game that gave you pause? Um, it was... <laughs> everyone's gonna focus on the glove I focus on the stance and the setup um to put it in simple terms too low too wide too soon uh it's and and, and 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 I'm a little surprised actually I was borderline shocked by it because it was something that he I thought he was in the process of well underway of changing when he was in Ottawa and I thought it was one of the changes that needed to happen. I heard a lot after the signing in Toronto of like oh they need to get the old Matt Murray back and it Drove me a little bit nuts because I understood the concept of, hey, we need to get a two time Stanley Cup winner back. But the way Matt Murray played, the old Matt Murray, doesn't work in today's NHL. And a lot of it was based on setup and stance. The game has become so lateral, so east west. As a goaltender, you can't survive when you're locked into save execution stance all the time. And so what you see with goalies nowadays is a lot more guys playing narrower, so their feet more underneath them especially when the plays on the perimeter or when it's coming in off the rush. And one of the things that Matt did in Pittsburgh, and he got away with it in part because there were a lot of other things that he does really well, but also because the game Pittsburgh was the first team when they won their two cups to really identify and isolate scoring East, West lateral across the slot line or Royal road as, as, as Stephen Valaket termed it um, at one end and preventing those chances at the other end. And so as once they won those two cups, copycat league, they started to bleed the personnel that allowed them to prevent it uh, in their end. And other teams were trying to create it. Hell Washington literally went through clear analytics and allowed their goalie coach to sort of look at how scoring chances were created. The best scoring chances in, in part, because of the way the penguins did it and then won a cup doing the same thing. Like literally everyone in the league started to go East West. And if you're locked in low and wide, your feet are way out beside you you can't move as easily side to side. So you'll see when you get like that goalies on, uh, even on passes higher in the zone, they tend to drop to a knee and slide across rather than beat those plays on their feet. And as the game has evolved over the last little while, it's the goalies that beat it on their feet that are having the most success. And so we've seen like a lot of goaltenders narrow that stance and Matt was in the process, I believe in watching him in, in Ottawa had to a certain degree done that and had started to have success when healthy. So I was shocked to see him so wide and low in his stance. And of course that that that's going to fuel problems with your hands. Cause when we get locked in low and wide, as we drop to the ice, we can't stay over the puck and keep our hands forward. So what happens is as we drop, we have a tendency to pull our shoulders back and our hands get behind us. We can't sort of keep them out in front. And so they sort of disappear on us a little bit. And um yeah so that was that was the biggest shock to me it wasn't where the puck went in the I I do believe you're, you're talking more. The glove is more of a symptom. It's not the disease. The disease is the setup in the stance. And I was shocked to see how locked in low and wide he was something that the goalie coach there, Curtis Sanford here in Vancouver, he's a disciple of Ian Clark. Like he uses a multi-stance system, depending on where the puck is in the zone, you're at different points of height and width in that sense. So to see Matt so low and wide so soon, so often, I honestly, it was a bit of a shock to me. And I don't think you can have success in today's NHL playing that way, frankly. So the bad news is he's got a month off and it's a lower body injury. When he was in Ottawa this first year after a month off, he had his most success coming out of it because it was a, it was a neck slash arm injury at the time. Um, He'd had some treatment uh, actually by the Ottawa team physicians that pinched a nerve in his arm. So he couldn't play for a month, but he could skate and he skated every day and they worked on that and he came out and he was better. So um, yeah, that that was a little bit troublesome to me and and I'm not sure the fix happens while he's out either.
1: So that's what I was going to lead to. The abductor is probably one of the worst injuries for a goalie because it's lower body and uh, you're not going to be able to train very much. How do you expect him to be out longer than, than maybe what you expect just because the, the importance of the abductor for goaltenders?
2: I don't know the degree of it. Like, a, you know, I, that could be an injury. You don't know the degree of it, right, Jason. So I just sort of got as much as we don't like to trust teams because they tend to fib when it comes to, uh, I got one of the best at it here in Vancouver. I don't think we've ever had a team that have, have a maintenance day turn into a month off more than the Vancouver Canucks. But, um, Hey, if they say it's a month, uh, I think depending on the degree of the injury, it's more than enough time to come back. My fear is that what I saw in his game required a lot of work on his skating and movement. And who knows? Hey, listen, like he's trying to make a change. Um, I equate it often goalies making changes to golfers, making swing changes. And when you get under pressure on the back nine on Sunday, that's when the old swing comes back, right? Like you get double crossed. You've been playing a fade and you, you're getting rid of a, uh, uh, well, in my case, a hook, getting rid of a draw. And also on the back nine pressure, boom, the old swing habits come back and you're double crossed and you're in the woods uh, under pressure, home opener, leaves So all that, Maybe old habits just overrode all the changes he was trying to make. It's possible, seen it happen. Um, but I'm really curious to see what Matt Murray looks like uh, coming out of this break. Because if it's more of the same, again, Forget about the glove. It's everything underneath that sets him up for failure on high shots. And if it's more of the same coming out of the break, then I'm a guy that was big on that signing because I knew that the process had already started in terms of the changes. At least I believe they had in Ottawa. If they've reversed that and gone back to truly the old Matt Murray, I'd be worried about what this looks like for the Toronto Maple Leafs moving forward. Cause I really do believe you can't play the game that way anymore.
3: Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was just going to ask you. If you were the Maple Leafs in this spot right now, you have four weeks to sort of figure out where this goes from here. And assuming he is, you know, does get back to completely healthy, which that's also been a huge part of his story and struggle. It seemed like every time he was sort of starting to piece it together and figure it out, boom, he's down with an injury again. What, what would you be thinking or feeling right now in terms of a level of concern for whenever Matt Murray does get back? Are you confident that he's going to be able to perform up to the level that you need him to?
2: This is one where I wish I was there on a daily basis, right? Like if I, if this was the Vancouver Canucks and I was there every day and watching him play, cause that, that's the one thing. And, um, they know better than we do, right? Like, mm-hmm. like if I was watching him in practice and he was playing like that all the time, then, then I, yeah, I'd be worried. Like if that is the game they've decided to take him back to playing, then the concern for me from the outside would be genuine. But if that was him going back to that game in a pressure filled moment, uh, and not what they've been working towards and seeing signs of progress towards in practice, then, you know, as a coaching staff, knowing that process in the works, I think they'd probably be more confident they could continue that. Um, and, and just having not been at practice every day, not being a team I follow, I haven't seen those drills that he does with Curtis Sanford. Like, listen, they got a really good goalie coach in Curtis Sanford. Um, love that signing for them. So I was, like I said, like I think he used the word shock. I was really surprised to sort of see that low and wide setup um, as often as I did in that in that opening game, and only they or somebody who's been watching the team on a day to day basis would be able to tell you whether that's the new norm or that was just sort of reverting to old habits.
3: Mm-hmm. Wanted to ask you about another guy who may have surprised some with his start. His team is three and zero. He is personally two and zero. That's Logan Thompson in Vegas. Two starts, nine forty seven save percentage, one shutout. A lot of people had, you know, concerns about Vegas and their goaltending. Can he carry the ball for this team for a long time with Robin Leonard being out for the season? uh, He had showed some promise obviously last year. Um, What is, what's the ceiling for Logan Thompson?
2: Well, I think the ceiling is where he's at right now. Like, like he, you know, his numbers last year in a small sample, like graded out top 10 in the National Hockey League in adjusted safe percentage. So I wasn't worried about Logan Thompson in terms of where he was at last year. He was actually there were times when Laner came back where you could see he was clearly playing through something um after Logan had gone on a bit of a run, I was a little surprised that they were going back to Robin like I understood it he's your guy and he's trying to play through something and you want to give them every opportunity to do so. But based on a performance, there was actually a game here in Vancouver. where I'm like, like, that's not the Robin. We know he's, he doesn't look as, you know, he doesn't look healthy. He didn't look like he was moving well. And Logan had what had put up those numbers in his absence. And I was like, you know, I don't know how much longer they can can keep doing this given where they were chasing a playoff spot. Cause Thompson's numbers were really good. Um, so ceiling, like, like I, I, I guess, I worry about saying, oh, like he's got even better in him because he's been in, he's been really damn like really good last year and really good to start this season. It's been really impressive. I don't know that there's a whole lot more or the question now is, can you do it consistently? And that's always the hardest part about transitioning into a number one job. It's night after night, uh, 82 game season travel as things start to wear and tear as a number one guy for a month versus a week. You lose that time with your goalie coach you lose the time to sort of work on the little details that seem really good in his game. That said, there are elements of old school, of Logan Thompson. Like it's not like he's, he's not a technician out there, guys. Like, you know, we, we saw two bad stack in the, in the first game on a rebound chance. Like he, he goes out there and just sort of, wings it sometimes, right? Like he plays on instinct and the instincts to this point have been really good. It's not like he's a technical mess, but that's not the foundation of his game. He's got some athleticism. He's got some compete. He's got some other elements. And so the only question to me, isn't so much the ceiling, it's how long he can stay at this high level. And that's a question we ask of any goalie. If you haven't done it before, you haven't done it. Like that's the nature of the position. Even when a guy like Demko or Shester have a great first season as a number one, that's great but now you got to do it again. And until you've done it, you haven't done it. It's again, just the nature of being a number one goalie in the national hockey league. And that to me is really the only question with Logan Thompson, because it's still such a small sample, but the performance last year and so far this year, I mean, it's been fantastic. And the other question that I don't think we can answer yet is how much easier is life on the goaltenders in Vegas under Cassidy than it was under Pete DeBoer. Um, Because even when they were an excellent team with a good defense core and they had a ton of injuries last year, they had good defensemen. They didn't defend well. They leaned heavily on goaltending for the last couple of years, including Robin Lehner, who was at a Vesna trophy level for the first third of last season before the injury started to pile up. And obviously Marc-Andre Fleury winning the Vesna last year, they were both full value for that type of recognition because they gave up a lot of grade a chances. And so I'm curious to see if that combination of a better defensive environment and what we saw to Logan Thompson last year is enough to keep him at this level for a long time. I I was maybe one of the few people that went in the season, not so worried about the goaltending just because of what Logan's underlying numbers said to me last year.
1: Well, that uh, transitions nicely to Jake Ottinger, who of course was all world for Dallas, even though they lost in the uh, first round to Calgary last year, he was unbelievable. And here he is, it's early on. I know it's only two starts. um, So the sample size for him is the same. He signed that new extension and, you know, that's kind of similar to what Shisterkin did is people said hey you need to see more what do you see more from Jake and is is the system going to be the question long term for you
2: well yeah i mean again sort of the the flip of the question about Vegas right like uh the golden knights leaning heavily Uh, on their goaltending under DeBoer, what happens in Dallas where they provided a very nice environment, Rick bonus. I mean, not everybody loved the aesthetics of how the Dallas stars played, but under Rick bonus, that was a team that took care of its own. And it was a team you wanted to play goal for, right? Like it was, it was just the there was a predictability to the environment in front of the goaltenders, right? You could make your reads and you could trust your reads because everybody else is where they were supposed to be. And interestingly enough, Jake's numbers uh, up until last season we're just sort of hovering around expected. Like he wasn't outperforming that environment significantly. Obviously we all saw what happened in the playoffs. It was incredible. And it's really interesting to hear him talk. We had him on the Ingold radio podcast this summer about the confidence he took from that and not just confidence, but the desire to sort of maintain it. Like he just, he hit a level in that playoffs that he now believes he can, he can return to on a regular basis. And like you said, tiny sample size, but his numbers are off the charts early. Like, not to the level of the playoffs. Cause that's, that's just not going to happen over the course of a season, but he's taken a significant jump statistically in those two starts. And, you know, Hey, there's some elements in his game, a uh, little bit of a lack of rotation. Sometimes when he moves left to right, I thought there were times Calgary uh, didn't do enough to exploit it in those playoffs. So he can get a little flat, a little straight across parallel to the goal line rather than rotating back to his post. But that's a, like, that's being super nitpicky looking for details that can be exploited. Cause I was looking at that playoff series last year. Um, but just, so I don't see a change there per se, but just a guy that's got a lot of talent and all of a sudden seems to have, I I don't even know if I'd call it a confidence boost. Obviously it is, but also a spark, like there's just a drive that seems to have been lit, um, even more so by what he did in the postseason. And Hey, like you said early, but he's carrying it over now, if the environment stays loose, if it gets loose, I still think defending's in their DNA. So it'll be easier Because defending is largely habits and work rate. And those habits have been built into that group. So it'll be easier to get it out of them. But if things start to loosen up, you know, and all of a sudden the guy that was in that spot to take away that pass before consistently starts to miss it five out of 10 times, that will start to show up in reads over time. That will start to show up in maybe leaning towards cheating because you can't trust the guy to be there over time. I I don't know that that changes overnight. So let's see if that environment starts to get a little less predictable, can Jake hold on to his game? Can he sort of, you know, stay on the shooter, not start to hedge if they start to create environment that requires it. Uh, and I think we're going to need a while before we know that, but man, he was incredible in the playoffs and he's shown no signs of sort of letting up earlier this year and that's got to be exciting if you're the Dallas Stars especially because I think that's a pretty pretty good bargain they got him signed up to.
1: Uh Carter Hart you know, he admitted during the COVID year, it was tough on him. Didn't get socialized or anything. And then last season it didn't have a great year either. It's extremely early again, Kev, but when you watch his game, are there signs of, Hey, Carter Hart's coming back in your eyes?
2: Um, yeah, you know, and then again, it's kind of early. I, I just think he's had such a, I mean, they haven't been a good team, haven't been a great team defensively. Um, and, and it, like you said, it's early. I did get to watch one of his games. Um, and, and here's the interesting thing. Like it's, there's been a couple of sort of um, low percentage goals that you don't like that. You're like, ah, oh, a little cringe. I actually had somebody text me uh, after the first period of the Canucks game on Saturday, like, Oh, they broke Carter hard, hard again. And that cause he gave up two goals and one of them was a little, eh. but then in the second period he made saves that where he broke from technique and went into desperation mode and they weren't as pretty but they were spectacular like backdoor right pad taking away what looked like a surefire goal sprawled out on his belly which is not how we normally think of Carter Hart and maybe there's a line there yeah I I have a tendency to look for the technical side of the game and like sometimes look for like that like all those little fine details because that's what you can see you know and that's one of the things that separated Carter coming into the league but sometimes you just got to go out there and play with a little desperation and and sort of that willingness to break from technique and do whatever you need to need to do to make a save. And he made some spectacular ones in the second period of a game where his team came back. So um, he looked otherwise like the same Carter to me, stance, set mechanics, all looked the same. Um, but just that, that willingness to go outside the box, um, you know, at times maybe I might look at it like, ah, like make a good push, get good rotation. You can be on top of that puck, but you know sometimes you just got to dial goalie 911 and and you know do whatever you have to do and i saw a few more of those saves and you know maybe that's a balance that um as an outsider and an analyst i'd look at it and be like oh, that's a that was kind of ugly but man you just got to do it like and and the game requires it's it. the game is far too dynamic now for goalies to always be perfect. It requires imperfect saves. It requires desperation. It requires instinct. Um, and you saw a little bit more of that maybe in the second period. And so it's early, but uh positive signs for a team that didn't expect any, a lot of positives around him early this season.
1: All right, Kev, uh, we're going to finish up with uh rapid fire, some, uh, quick questions, some quick answers. All right. Um, all right. Which, which goalie is going to benefit most from his new goalie coach?
2: Oh, there's been so, um, I would have said Toronto, but then we saw Matt Murray's first game. So, uh, I'm there's two Ilya Samsonov. And I think that the Detroit Red Wings got an exceptional goalie coach in Alex Westland will be a strong voice. Uh, Billy Huzo doesn't need a ton of work, but I think Alex Nadelkovich has had a bunch of different voices. I could see him having a really good year uh, with Alex Westland working with him.
1: Who will be the surprise Vesna finalist?
2: Surprise?
1: Because most Vezna. people think it's the Ilias and Vasilevsky. So who's not who's gonna So Sorokin's be?
2: not a surprise, right? Because I say that no. and sometimes people say it's like no. damn it. No, he's not a surprise. Well, I would have gone Thatcher Demko because um, I think he's in that conversation at top five. But his first couple of games, his expected save percentage was in the 700s because they were so terrible defensively, not giving up volume, but giving up high quality. So unless something changes here, uh, I don't see that. Um, oh, man, this is a tough one.
3: It's also a, t- a goalie that you know is probably going to be on a playoff team, right? Like there's not a non playoff team goalie that's winning the Vezina.
2: I know. And that's. Uh, that makes it a hmm. I mean, we already had Logan Thompson out here. Like, imagine if he keeps doing what he's doing um, for a guy that had question marks. I, I mean, Come he's not going to win a an answer. Give us an answer. I, I'm a hedging here. I'm, I'm, you got me, you put me on the spot. You know what? If if he's not on your list, I think Freddie Anderson, if he stays healthy, has a hell of a season in Carolina and could be in that conversation. And GMs only like to vote for guys who have been in the conversation before. That's why I, Thompson doesn't have a chance. So uh, give me Freddie Anderson for outside the box. Is, is Billy who's still going to have as much success in Detroit as he did in St. Louis. Yes, I believe he can have as much success in Detroit as he did in St. Louis. One of the false narratives around the Blues that followed them after winning the Cup was that they were a good defensive team. They actually weren't. They were a team that really had one goaltending, and Benton used to take crap for it. Yeah, Huso will be just fine in Detroit.
1: Will we ever see goalies stand up on
2: slap shots from the
1: sharp angles anymore? Yeah. Will that ever come back in?
2: Um, it never left. Mark andre Fleury still does it. Uh, and teams pre scouted a little bit sometimes on him too. Uh, but no, as a whole, we are never going to see that again. There's too much exposure created on the chaos of pucks that end up in feet in front of the net. Best bet for a goalie to score a goal this year. Um, Oh man. If we get Joel Hofer into the NHL with the St. Louis blues at some point, he tops my list short of that. We're going Tristan. Jari. All right. Hofer tried
3: in the preseason. He was actually pretty close.
2: Oh, he's that kid will score in the national hockey league. It's just a matter of him getting into the national hockey league. He's already scored in an AHL playoff game. Like, You know, even remember the gold medal game at Canada, the world juniors, there was a moment there where he, I think he went for it once. He can fire it and he's not scared of trying. Uh, Alex Adelkovich is another guy who can really chuck it. I could see him getting a shot. Awesome. Kev. as always, man, we love the rundown of the goaltenders. We appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on.
1: I love having Woodley on or McKenna. Like they just, they can break down the goalie position infinitely better. It's Man, like things like, we know nothing about it's sort the of like, wide stance of murray it made a lot of sense because when you i'm visualizing the goals and his especially the game winner from anderson his legs are you know it's like he's almost down in the splits and so yeah. you know, that doesn't allow your glove to get up as high as you want what did kevin say Your back rather than the forward mm-hmm. and so uh little things to look at um you know the uh this Playing time, I think, for starters, for sure, is the big that, thing. That was the next.
3: I was just going to say, to close this out. That was my one question. We ran out of time that I couldn't get to. What's the ideal number of games played for someone like Jacob Markstrom? I mean, how many times did did Jay Woodcroft hammer it last year in the playoffs? Our goalie didn't play 63 games this year. Like They felt like the Flames and Markstrom had ran out of gas, and I wonder if there's something to that. And then you see Battle of Alberta, first game, you know, they two days rest. They go with Ladar. Like yeah. I wonder if that's going to be a recurring theme this year for Calgary. Well, Markstrom allowed thirty eight goals in nine
1: games last year against Edmonton. That might have had something to do with it too. So but that's fun. exactly
3: why I'd want him to play. Gets get some good feelings going this year. Yeah, maybe that's fair. Well, I think he'll play in the 29th for sure
1: when they meet the second time in Calgary. But I think 55, Frank, is the number. 55 is probably the most, and maybe even 52. You get a backup and can play 30 games for you, that's huge. There were like nine
3: guys last year above 55, so. Yeah.
1: Frank, have an awesome week. Uh, We will see what happens as we uh, conclude week two in the National Hockey League. Uh, Enjoy and good luck to uh, you and your Philly fans.
3: Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Sarvali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode delivered by DoorDash.
0: But there's more, you gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under